All right, welcome back to the Duck Territory Podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is across the way. Hello, fellows. We're talking... Don't exclude the women that listen to this and podcast. And fellas and fellow and ladies. And ladies. You screwed that up. Should we start over? <laughs> nope, we're already in. We're, we're pot committed. We're pot committed, yeah. We're, we're full... <laughs> 15 seconds 15 in. 15 seconds in. We can't turn this <laughs> car around. <laughs> So it's bye week uh, for the Oregon football program. That does not mean that this week hasn't been uneventful. Uh, there's plenty of stuff to get to on this podcast. And we're right around that time frame where this podcast starts morphing into a two-sport podcast. And uh, and before we know it, we're going to end up having to do two different sport-specific podcasts because basketball season is right around the corner. And things kicked off tremendously uh, from a new standpoint, probably not uh, ideally at all for Oregon basketball with no. the F- with the FBI case of uh, college basketball corruption taking place, uh, Oregon's name being thrown out numerous times in two days. Uh, we will talk about that. We will talk about kind of uh, what we think, what we know, and what we uh, think will happen, and how you should, what your concern level should be at this at this point in time. Uh, we will also talk. Uh, a little bit about the bye week for Oregon football, uh, where Oregon is, uh, what they are doing this week as they have the week off. Uh, we'll also look at where Oregon is after five weeks. Are they on schedule? Are they ahead of schedule? Are they behind? Uh, biggest impressions from the season so far through five games. Uh, we'll, we'll look ahead a little bit to UW, uh, the UW week, Husky week, hate week, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and then lastly, we'll, like I said, we'll wrap up with the FBI stuff. Um, Eric, let's get to this bye week. Uh, Mario Cristobal had his one and only media availability in person with us, the media. That happened on Wednesday, uh, Wednesday afternoon. We don't get to talk to anybody else, no players, no assistant coaches. Uh, nobody else is made available. Um, basically, this is a, a period for Oregon to, to catch their breath, uh, readjust, realign, retune, uh, fine-tune themselves, and at the same time, Find a way to keep the momentum going that they have through the first five weeks of the football and season. They, and they've built up some momentum here with coming up this win over Cal. You know, a ranked team on the road. You know, first Oregon has not had a lot of success on the road just so to go down and, and be the team that at least going into the game people believed was one of the best 25 teams in the country. It's probably debatable afterwards where people think Cal is. I'm guessing it's probably closer to 50 or 60. But either way, yeah, momentum here, and, and it's, you can't let off the gas, and Cristobal spoke about that, you know, both regarding how this team has finished games this week, but also, um, just in terms of kind of preparing for, for Washington, which is right on the horizon as well, and I think the three things he, he touched upon, or he said that the focus this week is, is recovering, because obviously there's a handful of guys who are kind of dinged up, and we'll get to that in a minute, um, some pretty good news there, we think, um, improving, and then also continuing, I believe, to instill his, uh, culture with this team, and and, and obviously those are important things. A, a bye week is an interesting week because um, obviously you're not preparing for games. How do you handle things? One of the things Crystal Ball said they're doing this week that's a little different than most weeks is that a lot of these guys that are first and second team players that have logged a ton of snaps are, are actually getting kind of a, a lessened workload this week. They're kind of, I guess, kind of moving those reps over to some of the veteran guys. And, and that makes sense this time of year. You know, you, you, you don't want to wear these guys into the ground during a week where they don't have a game. So... Um, Oregon, you know, this week of practice, it sounds like it's pretty similar to most weeks of practice with the exception of that. Um, and they also kind of move the days around, but they're still getting a good week of practice in here. And, and I think the hope is that they come, come back healthy and, and kind of at a nice midway point of the season, uh, on Sunday for the first practice in preparation for Washington. 
Um, looking ahead towards health standpoints and where kind of Oregon's at, I think they're pretty much healthy. Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, when, we should mention on Tuesday there was uh, media availability with Mario Cristobal over the telephones the teleconference that he does every week, and we asked about that. And, and yeah, I, I think uh, there's a story up on the site um, that you can go check out um, that has more details. But there's really not a guy on the team right now who's dinged up who Cristobal doesn't expect to have available or at least close to available by Saturday. Guys that missed last week's game. Tony Brooks, James, who I guess didn't miss it, but was only doing kickoffs, yeah. and then Jacob Breland, who did miss the entirety of the game, both practiced fully for Oregon's first practice on Tuesday, are expected to play. Next week, Austin Fialu, who also missed the game, um, did not practice on Tuesday, but was expected, Cristobal said, to, to practice Wednesday and Thursday and be prepared for next week. C.J. Burdell, who notably missed the majority of the second half um, with what sounds like is a minor knee injury, practiced Fully on Tuesday, Cristobal said it was more of a scare than anything else, um, and they were just being kind of cautious with him. That he, I think he said, heck, he could have gone back into that game if we really needed him. Obviously, they felt comfortable with what Travis Dye was doing. A couple other guys uh, to mention: Darian Felix. He hasn't played in a couple weeks. Another guy that Cristobal says is rounding back into form. Um, and I think that's it um, as far as the yeah. Guys there really isn't. Into. There's not a whole lot. Oregon's actually pretty healthy considering what five weeks into the season. Pretty healthy. Cam McCormick's out for the season. Outside of that, this team is actually in pretty good shape health-wise, which obviously when you play a team like Washington, top-10 team, uh, you want all hands on deck. And I think Oregon's going to be barring some injuries here during the bye week and then during the preparation next week for Washington in pretty good shape. I mean, I, I'm going to completely jinx it, um, but I can't recall Oregon. Usually more injuries have happened by, by this point in the season and in, in past Oregon seasons. I don't know if you can attest that to just dumbfound luck or if you can attest that to maybe Oregon's improved strength and conditioning program. I mean, Christopher talked at length since he's been here about how that, that, you know, improving in that department leads to your, your players being better health standards throughout yeah. the football season, being built up to withstand the rigors of the college football season. Maybe it's a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, but it has to be a little bit of both, I think. But I, I, I think this team is, you know, a, we went in going into the season thinking, hey, they can't sustain any really major injuries. They've suffered one, and it was at a position I felt like, obviously McCormick was the starter going into the season at tight end, and so his you know injury is going to sting in its own right. But that's kind of a, one of the few positions that Oregon probably had some depth there to withstand some kind of an injury. Now, they probably can't withstand another one, um, but... That was one of those few spots on this team going into the year. You felt like, hey, this squad could be in a position where, you know, if an injury hit the tight end spot, they were they were going to be okay. Outside of that, I can't really think of any, you know, other glaring major injury for this program, and uh, that's huge, especially going into a game that they're preparing for here in the next couple of days, the Washington Huskies. Yeah, and, and Cristobal did a, a little bit of talking about Washington, you know, said that this is a team that, especially defensively, is extremely disciplined. They know who they are, and they follow suit. This is kind of, you know, Washington has been one of the better defensive teams in the conference since Chris Peterson took over a couple of years ago, and I think the feeling right now is that that is still the case. Um, last week against BYU, they held them to one touchdown. That's a BYU team that went out and was highly competitive against a couple other Pac-12 teams that actually went out and beat Wisconsin, so... Um, that was, a, that was, I think, kind of a show-me game for, for Washington because yeah. not that Washington had looked bad, but, you know, they, I think it was a two-score win over Utah that could have been closer to a penalty that negated, I think, a touchdown from the Utes. And then, obviously, the Arizona State game was also a one-score game. And 
kind of thought, well, they're they're talented, they're winning games, but they're still kind of plodding along. But I think that they sent a bit of a message against BYU. Probably remains to be seen how good they are as well. But um, certainly a Washington team that is capable of coming in and winning. And I, I would expect Washington to open up as favorites. Yeah, I'll be curious to see what that line looks like. I'm guessing it's going to be like a four or three or four point favorite for Washington. But um, you know, certainly going to be once again another massive. Massive game for this Oregon team, and this is a third straight week. The, the third straight game they're going to go into a game where both teams are ranked, which yep. has not happened, I don't think, for for probably since I don't know the 2000. I don't have the stats in front of me, but probably for a handful of years. So, you know, the kind of the, the gauntlet of the schedule continues. They then go to on on the road to Washington State for another tough road game, but the schedule kind of evens out after that. So, I think this is you kind of look at it. This is by week, and then a two game season against some really tough teams in the north, and then it's kind of lightens up a little bit. Not that the south is is terrible, but you look at the teams down there, and you kind of don't know exactly what, it, what they've got going. Uh, Eric wrote a story on the site on DuckTerritory.com. Uh, it's a free one. Um, ten things that stood out through the first five games of the football season. We've kind of hit the halfway point. It's kind of a, a perfect place from yeah. a, from a content standpoint, from our from you know opening pulling back the curtain a little bit um, from our perspective, and you know we're so busy with work during game week, that this is a perfect time to kind of set the reset button. What have we learned halfway through the year? Well, it's not theoretically, mathematically correct. We're about there. Uh, we're about halfway through the football season for Oregon, through five games. We've got a good idea of kind of who Oregon is and what they can be and what they aren't. Um, and I, I think one of the biggest things, let's just skip over the fact that we we know Justin Herbert's really good. Which is the number one point I made. Which has to be made, but I, I think we would bore the listener if we went into, you know, just constant praising of, of Justin Herbert. The second comment and your, your second idea though is one that I think is a really good starting point is Oregon may have, in your opinion, you said they are. I, I'm not 100% there yet. Um, I think they're close, but Oregon, this year's team, their front seven defensively, should be in the discussion as being you know, the best of nearly a decade. I think that's been one of the biggest impressions that we've had through the 2018 football season. Is we went in thinking, hey, there's a lot of talent starting along the defensive line at three guys. Jordan Scott, Jalen Jelks, Austin Fiala. Outside of that, a lot of whole, there's a lot of question marks. At linebacker, we know Troy Dye is really good. We know Justin Hollins can be pretty good. Lamar Winston, you know, showed some flashes last year, but there's not a lot of depth. Who's going to be the fourth guy? This group's pretty darn good. They are. And, and you know, I mentioned in here that um, the rushing stats were one of the big things that was impressive coming into the Cal game. I think they were top 20 nationally, and that fell back a little bit because Cal ran for a ton of yards. Most of those came from their quarterback, which isn't entirely the fault of the front seven. I mean, part of it's part of it is, but that's also partly just a really tough matchup because it's a guy that, frankly, wasn't expected to play that much for yeah. Cal. I mean, he's kind of their backup quarterback, and he ended up basically running the show for the entire second half. Um, so there's a lot of him running the ball. But this is a group that I think, if you go back, and we looked, the two of us kind of off the air, you know, on the car ride um, down, I think, we're, we're talking about just kind of over the last 10 years, the defensive front sevens Oregon has had. And I really think... 2012, 2011 were a couple of years where, where there's some really talented groups up front. But I think this group, really, honestly, the ceiling is so high. And, and I think, um, obviously, they're going to have opportunities to to kind of improve upon what they've started. But I just look at it as a group with Jordan Scott in the middle is a difference maker. Um, they have incredible rush ends or guys coming off the edge to rush. And Jalen Jelks and Justin Hollins, both of them who have been really tough this season. I mean, Collins is second in the Pac-12 in sacks and leads the conference in, in fumbles forced. 
Jalen Jokes, we kind of know what he's capable of. He showed some really nice things in non-conference play, still kind of a bit slowed so far in conference play. But, you know, this is a group that I think is really talented, and it's been a difference maker in terms of how this team has been able to approach opponents because against Stanford, who I think we'd all agree is an incredibly talented team, maybe has some holes, but they really shut down the run game, and I think that all starts with these guys. And um, Going forward, they're going to be tested, but I, I think this is going to remain probably the most impressive part of this defense going forward. You, you have to be also impressed with some of the safeties, Ugo Amadi and Javon Holland forcing a lot of turnovers, and those, that was another thing I, I touched on in the story. But um, for my money, this front seven is probably the best Oregon's had going back until 2012. Um, and it's certainly a group to kind of build around for the next couple of seasons for sure. Uh, Oregon has relied heavily or, or is expected to rely heavily on graduate transfers this football season. Uh, at one point they were expected to bring in four. That number dipped to three when uh, Tim Shuck, or Tim Hugh decided to leave uh, to go to Nevada to be closer to home. Um, they brought in wide receiver Tabari Hines, tight end Kano Dillon, offensive lineman Dallas Warmack, um, Three guys on the offensive side of the football, and you wrote it on the site that Oregon's getting some pretty critical, you know, production from the grad transfers. It's just not the ones we were fully expecting to be the main guys going in. Yeah, I think when, when they added these guys, the thought was Tabari Hines, who in a stat I posted, he had more, I believe, receptions, yards, and touchdowns than the rest of Oregon's returning receivers combined, which is a pretty big stat. He's a guy who. He'd average about 30 receptions or more through three seasons at Wake Forest. The kind of expectation was, I don't know if he's going to come in and lead the team in receptions, but he was certainly going to be a big part of the offense. And really through five weeks, he had one good game against Portland State where he caught three passes for about 30 yards and a touchdown. Other than that, he's been kind of a no-show. Um, and on, on the flip side, Dallas Wormack, who I think the expectation was that he was going to come in and at least provide depth. But I don't know if people expected him to be a start-of-the-season starter and kind of He's probably a guy that's going to start all 12 or 13 games this season at right guard. He's been a big part of that offensive line. And then Cano Dillon, and part of that is because of the Cam McCormick injury, but he's been, I think, a really important part of this offense at times. And we saw the touchdown against Cal, obviously the touchdown against Portland State where he dragged like four guys in the end zone was impressive. But those two guys have shown a lot. Hines hasn't. Obviously there's time left in the season. Cristobal talked about it today that, you know, the competition remains ongoing for those reps. But I think we expected going into the season, I know I did, that he was going to be the guy. Hines was going to be, at the very least, the number two receiver. And right now, he's what? Would you say the fifth guy, maybe? I don't know. I, mean, I don't even think he's that. You got, you got Mitchell. You've got uh, John Johnson, Jim Brennan Schooler, Jalen Redsey. Yeah, fifth, fifth guy, maybe. He's played in four games this season. He has just three catches, which is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. He's tied for for tenth okay. on the team in receptions. Uh, how, many, he, how many of those receivers ahead of him, though? Uh... I think there's set. one. I think it's just still four guys ahead of him though. Verdell is a running back. Cano Dillon's a tight end. Travis Dye is a running back. Tabari, uh, Brooks James is a running back. So he's, I still think he's like the fifth guy because there really hasn't. David Davis and Brian Addison both have catches, but those are the only other receivers that have catches this year. So even if but he's the fifth guy, he's a distant fifth. Right. I mean, he's he's not he's not really a guy that we've seen work in. Pretty much, and actually, maybe that's the takeaway that is just that the depth chart at wide receiver it has been pretty stagnant. They haven't really rotated a lot of guys. Yeah. I think guys like David Davis, we thought would be uh, become a long. Ryan Addison. Ryan Addison. I mean, those two guys and Hines. I think we figured all three of those guys were going to play some sort of role at some point in this season. And obviously, there's time for them to still do that. But um, through five games, it's really been those those four guys. And then Dylan Mitchell's really been the only one producing the last couple of weeks. 
Um, that's another one of the things I took away is that Oregon has a go-to receiver. It's pretty obvious he's their guy. Last two weeks, I think I, I've said this a couple times, he had 21 out of the 31 receptions made by wide receivers on this team. He has you know, kind of solidified himself as the go-to guy, and, and I think he's, he's shown really, really well. And, and it's important when you have a quarterback of Herbert's caliber, who, for my money, is the best quarterback on the West Coast, maybe the best quarterback in the country. Uh, you need a guy like Dylan Mitchell to be on the team to kind of pick him up because we saw it in non-conference play. There were a lot of drops, but with Kelly, uh, with Mitchell's emergence, you you kind of got, you know, I've said this a couple times, the, the, the Robin to Justin Herbert's Batman, you know, and if you want to call him superheroes or whatever, that's kind of what it is. He's kind of that, that, that piece that makes the offense go off, um, especially in the passing game. Um, and I think he's becoming a really valuable part of this offense um, and, and going forward, they're going to need to be firing, firing at all cylinders, and, and he's going to have to continue to be, I think, a, a crucial part of that. Looking ahead to UW. All right. Is there a bigger game that I can think of in the last few seasons for Oregon? I, I, I mean, we talked a lot about Stanford last, you know, two weeks ago. I think that was a monumental game, but or. This UW game, I think there's a whole bunch of layers here. One, it's your rivalry. Uh, it's, you know, I, I think I think it's safe to say Oregon fans can, can, would rather beat Washington more than they would like than beating Oregon State. I, I think it's pretty close, mm-hmm. um, but I think this is for Oregon's fans in today's standard. I think I think if you ask the average fan, UW is more of a rivalry than than Oregon State. Yeah. I, I think if you talk to the old Old heads, the the old duck fan, um, they probably fall in line with Oregon State. But for a majority of the fan base, this is the game that matters the most. As long as you beat Washington, it's an okay season type of a st- thing. Um, I think this game, obviously, you know, the, the Huskies have imposed their will two weeks in a, two years in a row. Uh, the last time they've come to, to Autzen, they won seventy to twenty one. Uh, there's that famous Jake Browning picture of him pointing. I think at Jimmy Swain as he's walking into the end zone. Um, they've embarrassed the Ducks at home. They won pretty convincingly last season, even though Oregon, I think, led going into the second quarter 3-0 or something of that nature. Um, but I think they ended up losing like 45-3. to They didn't score after that early field goal. Um, this game is going to be all about, A, establishing that they're back at the level that UW is at or higher, uh, two, it's a critical game in the Pac-12 North, where if Oregon loses, you can basically guarantee that they're they're out of the they're, Pac- eliminated. they're eliminated from the Pac-12 North championship. Um, so that's in, that in itself is huge. Uh, and then this is going to be look, Chris Peterson is is one of, if not the best coach in the Pac-12, and this is going to be a huge test and a huge chance for Mario Cristobal and his staff to show how they stack up against one of the better coaches in the conference, in the country, and perhaps maybe the best coach in the conference uh, from you know, what we've seen the last few seasons. Uh, there's a lot on the line. And on top of that, oh, yeah, the recruiting perspective. And you know, Oregon's going to have a huge group of recruits on campus for this for this game from a football side, uh, from a basketball side as well. We, we'll we'll you know, cover both of those next week. Um, we should say you know the number one player in the country for football is going to be here, Kayvon Thibodeau, defensive end. He's coming for this game. There's going to be a whole bunch of other guys here. I think this might, this is going to be the game, uh, that's the, the game, the big game that we, we have, you know, the last three or four seasons at Oregon. 
Yeah, I, it's, well, I mean, it's, it, we looked back at it a couple weeks ago leading up to Stanford, and, and it was pretty clearly that the Stanford game was the biggest game Oregon had played in since the 2014 Michigan State game. Um, uh, or two, Sorry, 2015 Michigan State game. Um, and, and it's hard to argue the opposition of that, and so it kind of comes down to, do you think the Stanford game is bigger or the Washington game is bigger? And for kind of where Oregon is at right now, you know, I think, again, I think the Pac-12 North is, is still in play, and if Oregon wins this game... You know, it's still going to take some things transpiring. And it's, it's, it's not easy for Oregon to win the conference if you're just being objective. We'll have a story up on the site, I think, tomorrow, kind of laying out what would need to happen. But, I mean, the first step has to be beating Washington. And that's, that's, that's no, there's no questions about that. Because if Oregon is, is one and two in the conference going, you know, and their two losses are to the two teams that are, are also competing for the championship, there's no way they're going to win the conference. It's just, it's just simple as that. That can't happen. Um, even I mean that means that even if Stanford and Washington lost two games, Oregon would still be out of it. It would require both those teams losing three times in conference play, which to me there's about a two percent chance of happening. It's just not going to happen, barring a bunch of injuries. So um, from a conference perspective, it's huge. From just again, from, yeah, from a kind of solidifying where they are as a program, it's huge, and I'm sure the players know that. I mean, it's not something where these players have that short-term of memory. It's not that they forgot what last year felt like and certainly not like they forgot what happened the year before. So I think from an emotional perspective, this is a big week. And, and you know, we heard players talking about in similar fashion about Stanford because Stanford had really put it to Oregon the last two seasons. I think it's going to be that same feeling, but it's going to be amplified because it is a rivalry game. Um, you know, just, just kind of looking at it, Oregon has a really big opportunity here because I think if they win this game... They might jump into the up into that close to the top ten in, yep. in the national rankings. They already have the Heisman caliber quarterback, so they've already got some kind of national publicity there. Yep. They might become kind of everyone's favorite team out west if they go out and put it to them. Because I think if people are objective and they watch the Stanford game, they're going Oregon is probably better than Stanford. Yep. So if they go out and they beat Washington, crack the bed. They go out and beat Washington. I think a lot of people nationally are going to say Oregon's probably the best team. In the Pac-12, because the Pac-12 South is, I don't know what you have to make out of that. I mean, Colorado's unbeaten right now, but I mean, that, that division Here's is the thing I didn't know about. Uh, it was told to me before Mario Cristobal's Wednesday media conference, and uh, I don't have the exact number in the top of my head, but Colorado's opponents, they're a combined something like 1 and like 14. I think it's like 1 and 15, yeah. That's terrible. That's awful. I mean, I don't know what to make of, of Colorado now. I, mean, I, 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 don't, I don't know what to make of anybody. I was all on Colorado's well, we watched them bandwagon. Last, and then We watched them last Friday. They looked pretty good. But, yeah, I, I don't know what's going on in this conference. The conference in the South is terrible. I mean, there's not, there's, it's, it's hard to find. I mean, that could be a deal where you've got a three or four loss team winning that division, and, and the Pac-12 North could have three teams with two losses or less or something. You know, I mean, that's, that's kind of what it looks like. And I'm sure it will prove to be more competitive than that as it plays out. But right now, just kind of looking at it early, it's like, boy, it's like one division is the NFL and the other division is JV football. I mean, they're, they're not particularly comparable in terms of what they've done so far this season. So um, I think, yeah, I think I really do think. I think if Oregon goes out and beats Washington, I think perception nationally is that Oregon is going to have the best team in the Pac-12. And then it'll be a real big trap game against Washington State the following week because people are, people are going to be going, oh, Oregon's going to be really feeling themselves. But Washington State's sitting there. And they've now beaten Utah. They should have beaten USC. It was a very competitive game. And, you know, they could be a team that is also ranked. That could be a fourth consecutive ranked game for, for the Ducks. So certainly this week's big, certainly, or, or certainly the Washington game's big and the Washington State game is also big because again, I, I look at the schedule after that and I go, they might go out and run the table. If they beat Washington and Washington State, 
and they have that momentum going and they can stay focused. That's the big thing is not letting up. But if they can beat those two games, I look at the schedule and go like, they might go 8-1 in the Pac-12. Yeah. And they might win the division because of that. I think it's going to be a huge game. Um, like I said, I, it's there's going to be a lot of layers. I'm, I'm excited to cover it. I'm excited to see kind of what the atmosphere is going to be like. I mean, Austin was awesome for Stanford. Um, I think it was electric. Uh, seeing as it's UW, seeing as that weekend's going to be a huge recruiting weekend for both football and basketball, there's Matt Night Madness going on Friday night. They're going to be doing some kind of a pep rally during that thing, you know, to close off the thing to get ready for UW, you know, tying everything together. Um, I think the weekend is going to be pretty insane in terms of, you know, the atmosphere and the buzz and, and the juice and whatever you want to use uh, to describe it. Uh, segwaying into basketball and the FBI, um, I think there's a lot of a lot of words that have been said and not really any stance behind it. Um, I I wasn't surprised that Oregon was mentioned in this case. Right. Um, on Monday, uh, Oregon was one of a couple teams that were new that were listed on a list of these are schools that are going to be mentioned in this case uh, by by the prosecution or by the defense. Uh, by the defense. Um, the defense brought them up. And then on Tuesday, Jim Grotto's lawyer, uh, if you're unfamiliar with who Jim Grotto is, he's an Adidas executive. He's uh, basically uh, been caught on wiretaps, you know, helping funnel money to the Brian Bowen family, uh, who is a five-star recruit from the 2017 recruiting class, that uh, to help funnel him to go to, to Louisville. Um, Jim Grotto's attorney, it was like one of the first things she said was that Louisville offered a hundred grand to level the playing field because Oregon had offered an astronomical amount. And if Louisville wanted to get Brian Bowen, they needed to up their ante, uh, from based off of what Oregon has done. Um, that was kind of a bombshell on, on Tuesday, on Tuesday. Um, and then everything that that's come from that is they said that they were going to present, you know, evidence that would prove that was, was true. Um, <clears throat> on Wednesday, uh, a secret recording was played in court, uh, which involved Christian Dawkins, who uh, is a sports agent for CSM, and uh, he has been tied to you know paying players and steering money. And Merle Code, uh, who's also been involved in this case of steering money in players to certain schools, uh, they both uh, there's a secret recording played that had both described Oregon's offer to Brian Bowen to sign there as astronomical. Uh, but no details were provided in that, in that recording. Um, they, Bowen was set to go to Oregon, um, but Code said, let me work the phones and get something done. Uh, again, no evidence has been proven that Oregon actually did anything in terms of, you know, offering money, just that two guys guilty of doing this have said, you know, Oregon, you know, to, to get Brian Bowen to Louisville, they needed to raise the money because of what Oregon had, had offered. No evidence had and come. And that's where it is kind of like what we really believe at this point because, yeah, I'm with you. If it was an audio recording of, say, Christian Dawkins communicating with, I don't know, an Oregon assistant coach or, or with, with the recruit and the, you know, and the recruit says, yeah, Oregon's going to pay me such and such, then you go, oh, wow, that's not good. Or if it was talking to an assistant coach, you know, I don't know, negotiating, oh, you know, this is what we're willing to offer, blah, 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 then that would be one thing. But right now what we've got is basically two guys that are, are known to be, well, three people that we've known to be guilty kind of slinging Oregon's name 
through the dirt. And, and again, I, you don't want to totally, I mean, having Oregon's name mentioned with this is terrible. This is not the kind of publicity you want the program to have, especially with such a promising season. Um, just as, about to start, I mean, we're, we're meeting with Dana Altman and, and players on Friday, yeah. and that was supposed to be a, let's talk about Bull Bull and Peyton Pritchard and all, you know, and then the possibility of this team winning the conference. Now that press conference is going to be steered completely differently. And it's not that they'll, won't still talk about those guys, but you're going to have to devote a handful of minutes, um, you know, speaking with Coach Altman about this. And obviously that's not what they want to be talking about right now, but it's the reality of it. Um, but we, you know, we, we, we don't really have any finite details right now that say Oregon is guilty. It's or, or you know, Oregon has done something really, really bad and here's the paper trail and they're going to be screwed. What we have right now is hearsay between three guilty people that um, we already know are just looking for any alibi, and their alibi right now is that they were basically play- leveling the playing field with schools that Nike and Under Armour um, represent. And and you, I think I don't think it's a mistake that both Auburn and Oregon are schools. Those are the, obviously the, the primary schools for Under Armour and Nike are the schools that are being kind of targeted in this yeah. a little bit and are being brought up as dirty players because those are schools that obviously have deep connections to both Nike and Under Armour, which are the, obviously the, the two main rivals in this shoe game between. Yeah, this is you know this this is not Oregon and, and no. This is boils down to a shoe war. It's a it's, it's, it's a shoe yeah. war between Adidas, Nike, and Under Armour, and in particular Adidas versus Nike. They do not like each other. Uh, they compete for the same competitors. They can, you know, they compete for the same high school AAU teams and everything. And, and we're not sitting here saying that college basketball is 100% clean because it's not. 100% not. And at the same time, this certain situation is boiling down to Adidas coming out and saying, we got caught. They've even come out and said, we're not going to try and waste the court's time and proving our innocence of doing these bribes. We're admitting to that. What we're doing now is we're we're trying to prove that we weren't breaking any federal laws. We were breaking just NCAA rules, and we're not. We shouldn't go to jail, and we weren't the only ones doing this. Jim Jim down the street was doing this. Tyler from the from across the way was doing this, and Nancy over in that neighborhood exactly. is also doing this. That's, that's what it is. It's, it's I got arrested for a crime, and I know these five other people are doing the same yeah. thing. So I'm going to point them out. Boom, 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 boom. And, and we don't know, again, these aren't exactly what you would classify as trustworthy people. These are people that are, that are, you know, basically. And that's what I said on the people. And then that was your argument, which I think, and you should go check it out on the site. Um, Matt wrote a nice story kind of saying that the acquisitions don't really line up right now towards Oregon. And, and then, it may come out where Oregon looks, it, looks dirty it could, and, it could, yeah. and it's proven. 100%. Yeah. Again, we're dealing with very little facts. What we're dealing with right now is, is a couple of comments that were made. Did you, did you mention the Troy Brown portion of it? Yeah, Troy Brown also got mentioned uh, on Wednesday in connection with Andre Dawkins. Uh, and Dawkins is saying that he had, you know, working relationships with about, it was about 10 guys. Um, Colin Sexton was one of them. I'll pull up the two. Um, but Troy Brown, the, the freshman that played at Oregon during the 2017-2018 season was mentioned, but no details were provided. No details were that Dawkins was actively trying to get him to sign or, you know, pursuing him, recruiting him, and Troy Brown was receptive. Or if Troy Brown wasn't receptive and Dawkins just continued to try and get him, you know, no details were really provided in that instance. Um, but right now, all we have is people that have their low credibility coming out and making these accusations without any real kind of physical evidence on Oregon doing anything illegal. And so right now, you know, 
I've had a lot of people text me. I'm sure you have too. Like, oh my God, is Oregon in trouble? Tell me, should Oregon be worried? Like, okay, one thing, Oregon came out and released a press release saying, you know, essentially they're monitoring the situation. The one thing I didn't like is they didn't open, they didn't come out and say, hey, we're opening our own internal investigation. Yeah, and then two, they didn't back or support Dana Altman, the head coach. That they don't have to, but the fact that they didn't kind of perks my ears a little bit. Um, so Oregon is basically saying, we're in wait and see mode. We're going to see what else comes out. Um, and if, if anything comes out, then we will take action. If, if not, we're not going to do anything. And here's the thing. Grotto's attorney has, has, has said they have evidence that Oregon did something illegal, offered you know an astronomical amount of money for Brian Bowen's uh, commitment and then playing at Oregon. Okay, the Brian Bowen recruitment was on wiretaps from the FBI, and this is what I touched on in the story on DuckTerritory.com is that um, it, you know Oregon may have done all this stuff, right. but at the same time, it doesn't. I'm not believing it right now because the facts that we do know is this. The FBI built two years of wiretaps to build their case. Brian Bowen is probably the center of, of this investigation and kind of the cornerstone of the FBI taking down Jim Grotto and, you know, Dawkins and, um, a couple other people in, involved. Uh, Oregon's name, we don't, we've never heard the tapes. We'll never hear the tapes probably. Um, but when the FBI came out last September, about a year ago today, and announced these, you know, findings and these charges and these accusations, they had proof and they had schools that they came out and said, you know, this happened, this happened, this happened, these schools did this, this school did that. Oregon was not one of those schools mentioned. No. Or the FBI has wiretaps of, of, of Dawkins, of Gatto, uh, of people at Louisville saying we need to pay Brian Bowen. And I'm sure, you know, the stuff of Oregon came up, but, you know, the, I'm sure that they have wiretaps of Grotto, you know, and Dawkins saying we need to up the ante here a little bit of, of the money that we're going to pay to Brian Bowen if we want to get him because Oregon's got an astronomical amount that they've offered. One would think if the FBI has wiretaps and caught Louisville red-handed because they've got everybody that was tied in that recruitment under taps, they would have had Oregon too. And they would have, they would have researched it and they would have looked into it. And we haven't heard anything. It doesn't make any sense that they would withhold that if they've caught Oregon cheating to come out and, and, and well, hide that. And, and it's also mentioned that I think there was a, a list of, I just pulled up 76 different names. Yes. That, that are involved or they're called relevant individuals in this case. And there's no mention of Oregon, there's no mention of Troy Brown, there's no mention of players that played for Oregon. There are play- Brian Bowen is number one, Rick Pitino's number two, and a bunch of guys from, you know, or, or Louisville are on there, guys from Kansas are on there, a bunch of different schools are, are represented here, but nothing directly to Oregon, which, you know, from, from the outset you feel good about that, then you hear all the stuff from the defense. I, I do think that has to be, at least on, you know, from the outside, kind of on the surface, that has to be seen as a positive, that it's not like, in the 76 people, it's Dana Altman, Troy Brown, right. you know, a bunch of other names. I don't want to th- you know, throw a bunch of names out there. Because if that was the case, then you'd go, okay, the FBI's got something on these guys. There's- the relevant individuals are people that the FBI is going, uh-oh, this is, these are the targets. But if the FBI hasn't mentioned you from Oregon, not that they're completely in the clear, that has to be seen as somewhat of a win. And maybe, obviously, I'm going to guess that this investigation is going to continue following all of this. And maybe... 
these uh, Adidas executives will have proof, and Oregon's going to be in trouble. But again, I think I agree with you right now. You have to be in wait. With the facts mode. that we have, you have to be in wait and see mode because what we have right now kind of amounts to a he said, a he said, she said type of scenario, and the he's and she's in this aren't people that you really would really want to get behind. Um, we will cover this, you know, extensively. If, if anything else comes out, we will mention it. Um, you should go to DuckTerritory.com uh, for more coverage on it. I. I, it's going to get uglier. It's going to get worse. More sure. people are going to get thrown in. More accusations are going to get made either towards Oregon or you know, other programs. Um, you know, More stuff will come out in the coming days, weeks, maybe even months, depending on how long this trial takes place. Um, that being said, uh, we will probably get comments from Dana Altman on this very topic on Friday. Because like you said, uh, he will speak with the media Friday afternoon. And um, that's going to be one of the bigger storylines I can guarantee you that's going to happen from you know a season unfortunately that was going in with a lot of hype a lot of potential a lot of excitement uh, it's going to deter away from that a little bit um, a little bit probably a lot from you know the, the preseason discussions and then it's unfortunate yeah and then next week he goes down to, to the Bay Area for Pac-12 media day so you know a lot to a lot to unpack here um, we will watch this we will monitor this if we think anything that's important uh, we will put it up on the site on DuckTerritory.com. Uh, thank you for listening to this podcast. Uh, for Eric and, and myself, Matt, thanks for listening, and we will talk to you uh, next week.